Well, let's turn back to John and chapter 19. John chapter 19 and taking as our text the words of verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Well, as we um, prepare, God willing, to sit at the Lord's table towards um, the end of this service, it's uh, right and proper to focus our thoughts for a few moments on um, the death and the sufferings of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, the cross itself, the events of the cross, in, in many ways it is the uh, pivotal moment of the whole of the Bible, isn't it? It, it? all We were talking about hinge moments on Friday night. Well, this is the big hinge moment in the whole of the Bible. It is the pivotal uh, moment. And in fact, not just the pivotal moment in, in, in terms of the, the biblical narrative, it's the pivotal moment uh, in uh, the whole of history as well. Because this is the moment that the God-man, um, the Messiah himself, faces one of the, the, the most painful and the most cruel forms of, of death or forms of execution um, that man has, has ever invented. The God-man here is um, crucified. And of course it's not just a physical thing either, it's a spiritual thing. He is crucified for the sins of his people. And of course this particular event, the, the cross, it's an event which all four of the gospel writers um, recount for us. We have four different versions of these things. And you can see the Lord's wisdom in the fact that he's done that because there is so much going on in the scene of the cross. You have lots of other narratives in scripture and you don't have this level of detail. But this is the pivotal moment. This is the most important event in the whole of scripture. So it's right that we have multiple angles, multiple uh, perspectives, multiple accounts of this same event, the cross of Christ. And the Lord's wisdom is very apparent in that because there's lots of little details and things that were going on at the cross. Lots of little details. And when you gather all those details together, when you take all the, the different gospel accounts and you gather them all together, you, you see a whole list of little things. Sometimes small details, but even some of these small details uh, can be highly significant because the little details that you see in these passages about the physical sufferings of our Lord um, in the wisdom of God he uses these little details about the physical sufferings of our Lord to teach us about the spiritual nature of the sufferings of Christ and um, so all these little things that they're packed with theological and, and spiritual um, significance as well that's why it's so important that we have all of these uh, details here and today what I want to do for a few moments is I want to focus, of course, on John's uh, account of the cross, but I, I really want to focus on one particular detail. This uh, very simple detail of the Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, actually bearing his own cross, carrying his cross, and, and carrying that cross uh, all the way uh, to the hill of Golgotha itself. And we're going to be looking really at verse 17 to verse 22 over the course of the service and God willing at the at the table as well so verse 17 to 22 is the, the section that we're looking at and what I want to do is I want to follow Christ 
I want us to follow him. So as he takes uh, the, the cross, as he actually bears the, the cross on his, on his back, and as he walks through Jerusalem, walks out to the, the hill of uh, Golgotha itself, and there uh, we see him uh, being crucified as he's nailed uh, to that cross that he is carrying. And of course, I don't want to just look at the, the physical nature of this carrying of the cross. I want to look at the, the spiritual significance uh, that lies behind these things as well. So in verse 17 we read and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So here we see Jesus carrying his own cross to the place of his execution. Now that was that was common um, procedure um, during uh, times of uh, Roman crucifixion. That's how they did things. Um, they would make um, the victim, uh, in this case uh, Christ, they would make them carry the cross. They had to actually bear their own crosses from wherever they were taken from and they would have to then carry uh, these things to the, the actual site, the location uh, of the execution itself. Now, Jesus probably wouldn't have been carrying the whole cross. Now, we can't be absolutely sure on that. He might have been carrying the whole cross but probably um, he wasn't carrying the whole cross because there's, there's, there's evidence that what tended to happen was that um, whether it happened in Jesus time we can't be sure but what tended to happen was that uh, the vertical part of the cross was, was set in place that that was um, put in place that was left there that was stationary uh, and the part that would generally be carried would be the cross beam you know, the cross beam that's the, the part that uh, your hands are actually nailed too. And that, that seems to have certainly happened and, and perhaps indeed that was the case for uh, Christ himself that what he's actually uh, carrying is not the, the full-blown cross but this um, cross uh, beam. But even if it was just a um, cross beam it would still have been a pretty significant and a pretty heavy piece of wood. It would have been a, a large uh, piece of uh, wood and uh, if you were going to uh, carry a, a large piece of wood like that uh, probably <coughs> You would carry it on your back or you would carry it on your shoulder. This, this kind of large thing um, it would be the easiest way to carry it. So more than likely it was on his shoulder. He was bearing the weight of this physical um, cross underneath him. And, and that would have been tremendously difficult for Jesus to do that. And it would have been difficult for him to do that because we know from the earlier part of the narrative that Christ has already been tortured by this point. Um, Christ has already gone through a, a flogging and a, a scourging by um, the Roman soldiers. Remember Pilate, he, he sent them off to be, to be flogged and to be scourged. And, and part of that process is, is it's effectively a whipping, um, but it's more than a whipping because the, the, the whip uh, would have, at the bottom of the ends of the whip, they would have tied on them hard things, bones and things that would cause damage. And, and the, the, the result being that when you're, when you're scourged and lashed with this particular device, it would effectively be ripping the skin from your back. So it's not just a whipping, it's, it's a, almost a removal of, of the skin from the back and it would cause uh, a lot of uh, blood as well. So Jesus here, before he's even taken, or before he's even bearing the cross, he's drained. Uh, he's drained, he's uh, bloody, and he's beaten, and he's in, he's in great pain. And physically speaking, he would have been weak because... Even that, that lashing, that scourging is going to drain him of his energy. And then after all that, now all of a sudden, he has to actually bear his cross, carry this cross uh, towards the place of Golgotha. Now, some of you 
might be thinking when you're reading this, but wait a second, I thought somebody else carried the cross of Jesus. I thought that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus. Because, after all, is that not what the other three gospel writers tell us? They tell us that Simon of Cyrene actually carried the cross of Christ. So, for example, in Matthew and chapter 27 and in verse 32, we read, Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. So, what's going on here? Is there confusion in, in, the, in the gospel writer's account here? Is there someone got their facts wrong here? Well, of course, that's not the case at all. Did Jesus carry the cross or did Simon carry the cross? Well, the answer is quite logically that initially Jesus was bearing his cross. Jesus was carrying the cross as every criminal would, but perhaps because of the, the, the fatigue and the pain that he was in and the fact that he'd been scourged and tortured before and that his energy was very low, uh, perhaps he was struggling so much that they then saw this man Simon coming in and uh, they compelled him uh, to come and they compelled him to help. Jesus uh, bearing and carrying the cross. So uh, there is certainly explanation for it. We don't have to look at all these contradictions and think they're contradictions. They, they can be certainly um, explained. But here John doesn't talk about Simon. He doesn't mention Simon. The other three gospel writers, they mention Simon. But John, John doesn't mention Simon at all. He focuses on the fact that Christ carried his own cross. Now, why did he do that? Why does he not mention Simon? The others did. Why did John not? Well, the reason is that John is trying to keep the focus here on Christ and Christ being obedient to his Father. Obedient to his Father by carrying this cross and by actually walking to the place of crucifixion with this cross. Yes, Simon was also there, but that's not what John focuses on. John is focusing on the obedience of Christ himself bearing this cross. And that's why I read earlier on from Genesis and uh, chapter 22. So I want to think just for a few moments back to, to Genesis uh, 22 at this um, point. And they are back uh, in that uh, narrative that we read. That's, of course, the story of um, Abraham and Isaac um, at uh, Mount Moriah. And there God tested Abraham. Uh, God tested Abraham to see if Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, to test him, to see if he was willing to actually do that. And there, when we look at that particular narrative, we, we tend to maybe uh, focus on, on Abraham and the, the obedience of, of Abraham and the faith of Abraham, and I suppose rightly so. But when you're actually reading it, you can't help but notice as well the obedience of Isaac here. The obedience of Isaac is something that comes out in that uh, passage in Genesis. Because in this scene, we picture Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice. Because remember, Abraham placed that wood on his son. It was Isaac who carried um, the wood. He is carrying this wood. He is carrying it, the wood that's going to be intended for his own sacrifice. He is carrying it himself and he's carrying it to the place of sacrifice. Just as Jesus does. Exactly like Jesus here. Jesus is carrying this wooden cross to this place of sacrifice in the same way that Isaac was doing it back in, in that passage in Genesis chapter 22. And Isaac did that. Why? Why did Isaac do that? Isaac did that quite simply out of obedience to his father. That's why he carried it. Out of obedience to his father. And so does Christ. When you picture Christ here carrying this cross, he's not doing this because Roman soldiers told him to. He's not doing this because 
Pilate has told them to, or um, the Jews have told them to, or um, that the crowds around have told them to. That's not why Christ is doing this. He is doing this because this is what the Father wants. This is the will of God the Father that he, that he bear this cross, that he carry this wound to uh, the place of his own sacrifice. But of course, in that passage in Genesis, um, when Abraham had laid his son on the altar of uh, sacrifice, and as he had that dagger, and as he was just about to, to slay um, his son, famously, of course, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself steps in. And the Lord says, no, don't lay a hand on the boy at all. And, and God is going to provide another sacrifice. He's saying, don't, don't kill your son. I'm going to provide a sacrifice. I'll provide a sacrifice. And in the Genesis narrative, that sacrifice is a ram. It's a ram caught in, in a thicket. That ram was going to be the substitute um, for Isaac, the, the substitute for uh, Abraham's uh, son here. But of course, the, the ram is a pointer forward, isn't it? That's obvious. The ram in the thicket is a pointer forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pointer to Christ. And here we see instead of Abraham sacrificing his son, God is going to sacrifice his own son. And that's exactly what's happening here at the hill of Golgotha and at Calvary. And as we're picturing this, as we're picturing Jesus carrying the, the wood for his own sacrifice in the same way as as Isaac did, when we look at that scene, you, you cannot help but see Christ as bearing much more than just the physical weight of a piece of wood. He's bearing much more than that. He's bearing something far, far heavier than that. He's bearing the very weight of sin itself. And you see that. Jesus is making his way to Golgotha, and he is there uh, bearing and holding and carrying the very sins of his people. And it's as though that the weight of that burden of sin, the weight of the sins of his people, it's as though it, it gets heavier and heavier the nearer he actually gets to the cross itself, the nearer he gets to Golgotha. He is the sin bearer. You see, he's not just a cross bearer. Um, that picture of him being a cross bearer is a reminder to us that he is bearing something else. He is the sin bearer, not just the cross bearer. And is that not exactly what um, Isaiah the the prophet um, saw in the, the picture of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, he reads, for, or he writes, For he shall bear their iniquities. Bear them, bear them, carry them. He bore the sins of many. Bearing the sins, not just carrying a cross, bearing the sins. And Peter tells us as well in his epistle that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He's not just carrying this uh, wooden cross, he's, he's carrying the sins of his people. He carries a, a physical weight, yes, but there's a spiritual weight there as well, a spiritual burden, the very sins of his own people. Now, you sometimes hear the question being asked, when did Jesus become the sin bearer? Um, in other words, when was the weight of sin actually placed on him? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a hard question, I suppose. For sure, on the cross, Absolutely, we can, we can categorically say that he is he's bearing the sins of his people there because there he's receiving the, the punishment, the just punishment for the sins of his people. So there's no doubt at the cross he's absolutely, certainly bearing the sins of his people. But does he begin to bear them before then? Surely, surely his sin bearing begins actually before then. Surely he comes into the world as the sin bearer. He comes into the world as the Passover lamb of 
God. There's a, there's a sense in which he is bearing, uh, he is the sin bearer throughout his, his, his life. Although as you're actually reading the account of the Gospels, it's almost as though the, the weight of that uh, sin bearing, the weight of that is, is getting heavier and heavier as he's actually approaching the cross itself. So, for example, just to illustrate what I mean by that, in uh, John chapter 12, um, after Jesus uh, enters into Jerusalem um, a few days before his, his death, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So, even at that point, you're, you're beginning to see something of the sufferings of Christ as the sin bearer. That there's something there, isn't there? That there's something there. And then as you, you progress through those next few days, it's as though the, 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 the awareness of that weight of sin is getting heavier. It's getting heavier and heavier as, as the suffering seems to be getting worse. And then you come to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and there it seems to go up a notch, does it not? And there he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And he's sweating drops of blood um, at that point. And, and again, you're seeing there the weight of sin bearing down on him. He is the sin bearer and he's making his way. Of course, it, it peaks on the cross because that's when the, the wrath of God comes. But the, the weight of sin, it's almost like you see it on him. It's almost like you feel the weight of it on him as he's making his way to the cross. So then, as we see Jesus struggling under the weight of his uh, own cross there, he, as he carries it on his shoulders in this uh, physical suffering, we cannot but see in a spiritual sense that he's carrying something much more, carrying uh, the sins of his people. Sins, of course, which his soul was about to suffer for in ways that we can't even begin uh, to describe and uh, to Articulate. We can perhaps try and imagine the, the physical nature and the physical element of these sufferings. And we're thankful that we have that because we can perhaps in some way relate. Uh, but how much more difficult it is to enter into to the weight, spiritual weight that he carried there. Bearing the sins of his people. The sinless one as well. Bearing the sins of his people. Now, to go back to him carrying the cross itself. Uh, one of the, the reasons that uh, the Romans made people carry uh, their uh, cross was to humiliate them. They wanted to humiliate people. That's why they made them carry the cross. So here as, as Christ is uh, carrying this cross here, there's a tremendous sense of shame uh, attached to um, the process itself. And, and as we see Jesus carrying our sin, it's as though we also see him carrying our shame and carrying our humiliation. He's carrying these things, things that belong to us, Things that belong to us because of our sinfulness and, and he, is, he is carrying it. And that's quite remarkable when you stop and, and think about that. The Son of God, the God-man, bearing that humiliation and shame. The one through whom everything was created. The one through whom the very cross that he's carrying was created. The one uh, through whom the very soldiers who are leading him before him, uh, he's the one who gave them life. Because through him all things were created. Through him all things were made. And yet here he is, shamed and humiliated in an unspeakable way. It's quite hard to get your head around that. It's, when, you, when you just see him as a man, it's perhaps not that impressive. But when you realize he's the God-man, it's quite overwhelming what's actually going on here. And the nature of the, the cross-carrying exercise as well, it wasn't just to 
and humiliate and shame. But it was also to act as a deterrent to others. As a deterrent to others um, from breaking the laws of Rome. Um, so that was one of the reasons why it was so public. And it was public. The, the spectacle was public. Um, in other words, when, when you would carry the cross, you wouldn't take the, necessarily the direct route or the, or the quick route to, to Golgotha. You would be taken on the most public route possible. You'd be taken on the most public route possible so that bystanders would see. So that people would see and so that people would remember what happens when uh, you break the laws of Rome. And here we are, a couple of uh, thousand years later, and we are like bystanders now. As we're reading the, the account here, we are almost like the bystanders. And, and we, are, we are watching and we are seeing our Lord and Saviour carrying this cross, bearing it, and actually making his way towards Golgotha. And we have to ask ourselves, what, what do we see here? When we stand by, what is it we're actually seeing? What is it that, that every one of us in here is seeing? Now, some people might look at these events, perhaps some people on here, and, and you might see an innocent man that was dealt with in a horrible way. Uh, he was dealt with in a horrible way by a bunch of um, religious extremists. And of course, we hear a lot about religious extremists in our, in our day and age. Well, perhaps that's what some people see here, just a, an unfortunate man who, who has been uh, dealt uh, badly by these um, religious extremists. And you might look at him and you might feel sorry for him, you, know, you might genuinely feel compassion for him when you, when you think of what he went through. But the Lord's people see much more than that. To look at Jesus and to feel sorry for him, that is, that is not enough to, to, to save you. You need to see a lot more than that. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when the Spirit opens our eyes, regenerates us and enables us to put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we look at Christ here bearing this cross and we see much more than, than a poor man who we have compassion on and a poor man who we feel sorry for. When we look at him here in this narrative, we see him carrying our sin. The Lord's people, we see him carrying our sin. We see him carrying our shame. We see him carrying our humiliation we see him carrying our cross and we're very aware that when we see him there he is doing what we should be doing he is carrying what we should be carrying we are very aware that he is taking that from us we're not detached from this we're not detached from this at all you see the christian realizes that we are not independent bystanders we're not bystanders we're not, we are absolutely involved in the scene. Because this man is bearing these things. The God-man is bearing these things for sinners such as us. We are responsible for the suffering of this man. And when you see it like that, it's completely different. When you see it like that, you cannot but worship. You cannot but see this, this tremendous love from this man. You no longer just feel sorry for him and think, well, it's unfortunate what happened. You are, you are in awe. You are in absolute awe. Of what the Lord is doing for you. And then as Jesus carries on through. As he makes his way out of the city. Carrying the cross. Uh, probably at this point being helped by, by, by Simon as well. Uh, and then he makes his way out of, of the city. Now there are, there are many Old Testament parallels to, to what's going on here. I've already mentioned the, the parallel with, with Isaac. And Isaac carrying the, the wood and making his way to the place of sacrifice. But there's another parallel here as well. There's another parallel here with the scapegoat. Remember on the, the day of atonement, the day of atonement, there the, the high priest 
he would take a, a goat, or a couple of goats, and one would be sacrificed, and, and one goat, the scapegoat, he would place his hand on the scapegoat. And the, the high priest would then confess the people's sins, and that was symbolic of, of these sins being transferred onto the scapegoat. And then what happened after that was that the scapegoat was led out of the city, and the scapegoat was, was led out into the wilderness, led away from the people, and that was uh, symbolic, uh, really, of um, sin being taken, removed from the people and, and taken far away, uh, taken uh, into this, this abyss of uh, the wilderness, removed from them. Well, here, here you see Jesus, the sin bearer, bearing the sins of his people. And it's like the scapegoat because he's been led out of the city. He's been led out of the city and there he is carrying the sins of his people, carrying them away. But of course, the, the main difference is that um, unlike the scapegoat, the Lord isn't taken away into a wilderness somewhere. He goes to an abyss, but not the abyss of the wilderness. He, he's led uh, to this hill of death. He's led to this place of the skull known as Golgotha. And it's at that point that the soldiers um, lay Jesus on this cross beam, if it is just the, the cross beam that's there, this beam that he has been carrying. And at that point, it's his hands would have, of course, been driven into, um, through nails into that uh, piece of wood. And that piece of wood would have been uh, elevated and lifted up and, and set in place against the, the upright beam. His, his feet would then have been nailed into that uh, beam. And there then, as the, the effect of, of gravity itself would take place, then the physical sufferings of the Lord enter into a whole uh, new realm indeed. Now he's... Now he's no longer bearing the cross. Now the cross is bearing him. Now he is there nailed to this cross. The cross carrying him. And he might have felt the weight of that cross or that cross beam when he was making his way to the place of, of Golgotha. He might have felt it quite heavy on him. But now as he's actually nailed to this cross, now his sufferings enter a whole new depth entirely as the weight of his body is, is hanging there, hanging from that cross. Here is physical sufferings. They, they, they come to their climax. And of course, spiritually speaking, the same is true. We, we have noted uh, that we've been seeing Christ uh, bearing this wooden beam as he uh, walked to the cross, but he was bearing much more than that, as I mentioned. He was also bearing the sin of his people. And I mentioned that we see something of the sufferings even in the lead-up to, to the cross itself. And, and there is something of the, uh, the sufferings there. Uh, but as he comes to Golgotha here, the spiritual suffering is about to enter into a whole new phase entirely as he's nailed to that cross. You see, back in John chapter 12, yes, his soul was troubled. That's true. Uh, and back at um, Gethsemane, uh, there again, uh, he, he felt this uh, sense of, of suffering as he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. That's true. But here on the cross, he plummets to depths, spiritual depths, which far exceed even all these other things. As he bears the wrath of God himself for the sins of his people. And there, of course, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he's nailed to that cross, it's almost as though he's, he's nailed to the very sins of his people. And the Lord deals with him as sin. Now, don't get me wrong, Christ was never a sinner. Christ was never a sinner. But there on the cross, the Father is, 
is dealing with him as sin. He receives the just reward for the sins of his people. He, he, his, his punishment, the father's punishment, is, is unleashed on his own son. Now, earlier on, uh, I mentioned about um, the similarity between uh, Jesus and uh, Isaac here. Remember, Isaac carried the wood, uh, so too Jesus carries the, the wood of his cross. And similarly, Isaac uh, is bound to that altar by his father. And here, you can say the same thing. Here, the father is binding his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this altar. Because make no mistake, yes, it's the, the soldiers who are physically doing it, and, and the Jews are behind it, and, and perhaps the, the crowd are, are all wanting this to happen. But it is the plan of God the father himself. This is the will of God. The will of God the Father to bind his son to this altar, to the cross of Calvary. So there's similarities, but there's one big difference with the, the Isaac narrative. And here lies the big difference. I, I mentioned it uh, a few moments ago. Because as Abraham takes his dagger, and as he gets ready to slay his son, that's when uh, God speaks. That's when the angel of the Lord says, no, do not harm this lad. Do not harm this Boy, but here at Calvary, God doesn't say no. God doesn't say stop. God does not intervene at all. Here at Calvary, he takes the very sword of his own justice and he thrusts it through the very heart and soul of his own son. Now that's quite overwhelming to actually take in. And here, although Christ endures the, the physical pains of torture, that's true, but he is enduring a much more painful torture, spiritually speaking, as the wrath of God the Father in an active way. It's not necessarily just that the Father is not there. There's an active sense of which the sword of the Father's justice is going into the Son. He is receiving the wrath of God as his soul experiences the very pains of hell itself. And how could God treat a son like that? How could he do that? And some people say that, don't they? How could a loving father treat his son like that? But of course the reason is because when God looked at his son at that moment, he saw your sin and mine. That's what he saw. He saw our sin. And the father is dealing with Christ as though he is dealing with our sin. He is our sin bearer. Not just the cross bearer, the sin bearer. The wrath of God has been poured out upon him. And uh, as we sit here, uh, God willing, in a, a few moments' time, and as we sit at the Lord's table, we're going to marvel at that. We're going to marvel at what our Lord and Saviour has done for us. Not just in carrying that piece of wood, but more importantly, in carrying our sins, in bearing our sins, and in dying on that cross for our sins, your sins, and mine. Amen. And we pray for God's blessing on that uh, portion of his word that we've uh, meditated upon. We're going to look at it a bit more in a few moments' time. But before we do that, uh, we're going to sing. And we're going to sing in uh, Psalm 116. <coughs> the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 116, 
and uh, we will sing from the verse marked uh, 7 to 14 there. 7 to 14, so that's page 396. O thou, my soul, do thou return unto thy quiet rest, for largely, lo, the Lord to thee his bounty hath expressed. For my distressed soul from death delivered was by thee. Thou didst my morning eyes from tears, my feet from falling free. I, in the land of those that live, will walk the Lord before. I did believe, therefore I spake, I was afflicted sore. I said, when I was in my haste, that all men liars be. What shall I render to the Lord for all his gifts to me? In other words, what shall we do when we consider everything we've been thinking about just there, those few moments, about what he has done, what he has carried, what he has borne, what will we do for him when we consider the extent of what he has done for us? I love salvation. Take the cup, on God's name will I call. I'll pay my vows now to the Lord before his people all. That's the least we can do. When he has done that for us, we come to his table, we come, we take the cup, and we pay our vows, and doing so publicly, professing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is our sin bearer. So we'll sing those verses, verse 7 to 14, to God's praise. Thanks, bro. 
now come to the, the part of our uh, communion service, which we call the fencing of um, the Lord's table. And this is where, very simply, we just um, consider who it is that should sit at um, the Lord's table. And I'd like to focus uh, our thoughts just for a, for a few moments, following on from what we were looking at there in John chapter 19 and the, the verse there, Mark 19. The Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, there's tremendous irony in, um, in lots of the details of uh, what happens at the cross of Christ. There's tremendous irony in lots of parts of the Bible, but there's tremendous irony in certain details um, that take place at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is certainly one of them. Now, usually, uh, what would happen was a title would be placed um, uh, above um, the cross of the criminal or whoever it was that was being crucified. And that title uh, would um, show that the charge or the crime that that particular uh, person had uh, actually uh, committed. But here, Pilate, possibly in an attempt to annoy the Jews. Uh, you know, Pilate wasn't happy that he was forced to, to crucify uh, Jesus. He did so out of his own pride, but I don't think he was happy about that. And, and perhaps out of, out of a sense of trying to almost humiliate and annoy the Jews, Pilate doesn't write down the, the charge as such. Uh, he doesn't write down uh, the, the crime as such. He writes down the words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Jews weren't happy about that. They weren't happy about that. No, no, don't write that. Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. Um, don't write that he is the king of the Jews. That, that's, that's not correct. And they weren't happy about that. And indeed, uh, that angered them. But of course, Pilate says here, look what I have written. I have written. And of course, Pilate uh, wrote more than he knew. Did he not? He wrote more than he knew. Because although Pilate here in this passage, although he's trying to annoy the Jews, uh, in the providence of God, this title here is actually incredibly profound. Because this man who is hanging here on the cross, this man is indeed a king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all glory. Now, you might look at him and say he doesn't look like a king. And in many ways, humanly speaking, he doesn't look like a king. But he is a king. He is a king and he's a king elevated up. The cross of execution itself, you could say, in a sense, becomes his, his throne of exaltation. And, and before us today, here in, in the events of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a poor criminal. Not a poor criminal. He's a king. He is a king, and a king far greater than any earthly king. He is a mighty, exalted king. And the question for us is, will we bow before this king. As we look at Christ and as we see him in his sufferings, how do we react? How do we respond? What do we think of this man? Do we fall on our knees in, in homage to our, our Lord and our King? Do we take this man as the Lord of our lives? Do we seek to, to serve him as our King? Do we seek to, to serve him by our heart and our mind and, and our strength and our souls? Do we love him? 
Is this man here, is he just a poor criminal who unfortunately died, or is he your king? That's the question. Is he your king? And if he is our king, then our place is at the banqueting table that he prepares for us. If you bow before him, and you acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour, if you acknowledge him as your king, then he invites you to this royal banquet. In fact, um, he doesn't just invite you to the royal banquet. If he is your king, he, he commands you to sit at this royal banquet. He commands you to sit and to feast from the provision that he provides for you. Is this your king? Is this your Lord? If it is, then your place is here. In spite of your weakness... We all have that. In spite of your failures, in spite of your sin. In fact, you could say because of your failures and because of your sin and because of your weakness. Because this table is a table for sinners. A table for sinners. A table for weak people, for failures, for sinners, but crucially for people who bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and take him as our Lord and our King. And if that's the case today, very simple. If he's your king, then you should be at his table. And I hope that we will do just that. And we're going to sing Psalm 118. And we're going to sing from the verse marked 15. And during the the singing, if there are anyone who perhaps as of yet is not at the table, you can come forward to the, the table at um, this point and, and sit at the banqueting table of uh, our King. And we're going to sing from um, verse Mark 15 and we'll keep on singing until uh, the elements uh, are uh, on the table. So, in dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health, the Lord's right hand doth ever valiantly. The right hand of the mighty Lord, exalted is on high. The right hand of the mighty Lord doth ever valiantly. I shall not die, but live and shall the works of God discover. Why will we live? Because of what Christ has done. Because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord hath me chastised it sore, but not to death given over. So we'll sing from 15 downwards uh, until the elements are ready and we'll stand to sing. Well. 